Remain standing and open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. And God's word says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Please be seated. Let's pray one more time. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you that we get to look together at this sacred text. By the power of your Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to uh, stay focused and help us to learn and teach us and encourage us in whatever uh, you have for us today as we uh, engage with your word. Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's help. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know what happened to this long-ago cartoon I had clipped out of somewhere. Had it on my wall in Pensacola. It was kind of a funny cartoon. It was an illustration of uh, maybe where the, the cartoonist thought the church was going or headed. Three frames. The, the first frame was a picture of Martin Luther. And he had some strong theological statement about his conversion experience and what the Lord was doing. The next one was John Wesley. And I I remember part of that. He was talking about his conversion, and he said something to the effect of, my heart was strangely warmed. Oh, our our resident Methodist, our resident ex-Methodist just said said it along with me. My heart was strangely warmed. It had that part in the second frame. And then the third frame was was, uh, captioned, Bill and Binky's Tuesday night Bible group. And uh, somebody said, and I said to myself, yo, girl, what you need is a checkup from the neck up. And then somebody says, group hug, group hug. And it kind of contrasted the way the church has gone from theological underpinnings that are strongly spiritual to just this subjective look and and the the, the focus on our emotions and self-help. We're thinking about self-help type books and self-help issues. Um, Somebody says that uh, finally in this section, Paul finally got around to uh, uh, talking about the power of positive thinking here. Uh, This is something we can all relate to. Uh, Somebody said this was a popular thing back in the Philippian church, and he was trying to relate, and you just get that checkup from the neck up, and and boy, you can can make it happen. You see it, you can be it, uh, those types of things. We look at it, and we think about, well, not all self-help things are anti-biblical. A lot of them sound a little that way. I remember back in college, Bible college, way, pre-seminary, way back when, 40-some years ago, sitting in the student commons. And it was an afternoon I just decided I, I studied better with people bustling in and out and all that, but it was a quiet day there. So I just put my books there instead of the library. That's, how, that's better how I work. And there was only a couple of people in there, one was a young man, young, part of the preacher boys class. He was a couple years younger than me. I think I was a senior. And 
I'm studying away, and all of a sudden, here comes this guy, Harry. He sits down across from me. He goes, hi, David. How are you doing? What are you studying? And he was just so friendly and so interested in my life. And I thought, I haven't really talked to this guy, but it made me feel good. The young, young guy talking and all that, and, and he talked, and he went back and sat down, and I went back to studying, and about 20 minutes later, here he comes again, and he's asking me something else and talking. And I'm like, something's up, but I don't know what's going on. Is he going to ask me for a dollar to, to buy a soda, or what's going on? And uh, this happened two or three times more. And as I'm getting ready to leave, I'm walking by and I see him reading this book by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I said, I know what this guy was doing. And it made me smile. I didn't resent that. Probably at the end, I haven't read that book, or if I have, I haven't read, don't remember the, but I think probably it was like, read this chapter and now find somebody and practice these things on. And this young guy, Harry, was really good at that. Now, you say, is that wrong or sin? Well, you know, uh, it'd be, I'm glad he did that rather than, you know, pull the chair out from me or throw my books off the table or something like that. Um, but you get to this self-help stuff, and even in the Bible, didn't Paul say, I've become all things to all people that I might by all means reach some? That's what he said. When I'm in Rome, I do what the Romans do. And you read the way that he preached sermons that were tailored. He knew the people that were there and God used that. It's not wrong and, and, and not everything just because it's self-help is wrong. So I'm not saying that. But boy, a lot of times we forget the Bible and we go to that. And Paul in this passage has been misinterpreted as all of a sudden just saying, okay, just think positive thoughts. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, you think about these things. And if you just think positive thoughts, you're going to be all right. If, if I can see it, I can be it. That's not what's going on in this text. Some elements of it, uh, uh, of, of self-help, might be tripping over into here. But this is something deeper and bigger and something for us to learn. And we've got to understand it in its context. comes to these two verses in Philippians. It's not Paul channeling his inner Zig Ziglar. It's not Paul being Joel Osteen. It's not just some shallow power of positive thinking. Uh, What is happening here? Well, three things as we look at the text. Three things, and I just gave him a one-word thing to help us uh, keep it straight and and to move through the text. So three three words... uh, I said I alliterated them, though it might sound to you like I illiterated them, but I alliterated them. Uh, Context, content, and then looking for another word that started with C to help us bring bring verse 9 in, copycatting. So the, the context. What is the context in which Paul said, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, think on those things. What's the context? The context of Philippians is Paul in prison, possibly to lose his life. It's not just a, oh, happy day, uh, smell the the, the grass and the flowers and, and feel the breeze. The context is Paul in prison, longing to see the Philippian people 
and not able to because he is constrained by uh, the Roman government at that time. The further context of Philippians, as we've talked about as we've preached through this book and are coming to the end, the further context is the abundance of false teachers and the threats that were there at that little church that he loved. Remember he said some people preach Christ out of envy, uh, and he's talking about later on about being aware and be beware of, of people that would come in and, and mess with your faith, and so there's, that's the further context. The immediate context in the letter, he's just talked about an interchurch fight between these two ladies, Euodia and Syntyche, and they're fighting. And he's talking about resolving that fight and not having conflict within. So that is the whole entire context of what's going on where he says, whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is admirable, etc., think on these things. He's been talking about trusting God, about resting in God. He's been talking about how to make peace uh, between these two ladies. We have to ask ourselves as we read this, how do you make peace among people who are Christians, who are at odds with each other? How do you achieve peace in a marriage? How do you achieve peace in a church relationship? How do you find that? And it's in that context that he's saying, finally, brothers, that word finally is connected to those areas of strife. Whatever things are true, whatever things are honorable, the context is pointing to Christ. My proposition this morning, uh, what I'm going to tell you, uh, it says in the word, is it's got to start with Jesus Christ and who Christ is. Whatever things are true. What did Jesus say about himself? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Definite article. The, the, the. I am the truth. Whatever things are true, whatever things are worthy of praise, in heaven, uh, when God's people get there, where is the praise going to be focused? On the church? No, the praise is on Jesus, the Lamb of God. And so whatever things are worthy of praise. And so I'm saying he's talking about a Christ-like thought life. The context is not saying it's all roses, but the context is saying as you deal with threats within and without, as you deal with your own personal conflicts, put the praise, put the focus, put what you think about on Jesus Christ. So we see the context of verse 8. We can't just pull these verses out and isolate them. You see it it within the the text uh, as it's written. So how do we deal with the content then? We touched on it just now. The content of a Christian successful thought life, for a Christian to think, uh, what's the content to be made of? Now I can tell you, my strong, oh boy, and and I think it's just innate, maybe some of it's from from past training, I want to all of a sudden jump into all these things that you shouldn't be watching and doing. I want to go negative. I want to I say, don't do this, don't do that. Don't, don't look at these things. You know, burn this, uh, smash your TV, whatever. Um, 
that's not what's going on in this text. It's not. He is talking us about what to do and how to think and putting those things uh, in the right uh, context. Um, There are passages of Scripture that warn us about our intake. Ephesians 5, 1 through 5, and and then verse 7 and verse 12 uh, uh, help us with that. Also written by God and and Paul being the human author of it, where, where Paul said, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no uh, filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Verse 12, For it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. That's where Paul, in that letter to the Ephesians, addressed some of those things, different than what's going on here in this context in Philippians. I remember as a young man back in my Frito-Lay days and just getting back into the church and down there in Pensacola. And, and uh, back then, we didn't have the 24-hour TV news cycle, but everybody had newspapers. It was a Sunday morning, and one of our former presidents had gotten into trouble. And that Sunday morning, they had this big, thick, along with the Sunday paper that seemed like everybody got, all this big, thick, long thing of the president and the intern. And I remember our, our wise pastor, John Finley, saying, you guys are going to want to go home and, and read all the lurid details. Remember, you don't have to. In fact, you might be better off not exposing yourself to every detail. Just because it's printed doesn't mean you have to read it. And it was good wisdom uh, there uh, to say, what are we taking in? Here, what Paul's talking about, Paul is talking about what we think about. Paul, elsewhere in Scripture, had said all things are lawful, but all things aren't necessary. And the trick for the pastor, for the elder, for the parent, for the Christian, is to, is to help people along without binding a conscience. How do you help people and give them advice without binding a conscience, without adding to the Scripture and saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, uh, that's, that's the harder thing. You don't want to bind anybody's conscience, but you want to tell everybody, like Paul said, all things are lawful, but all things aren't necessary. In this context, uh, Paul is telling us, or God is telling us through Paul's writings, that there is a way to think that will help us to deal with the threats. And he's looking Positively, what is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about those things. And he's talking to us about what we put in. Does this mean that if something bad ever happened to you, you just shut that out? 
No negative thoughts allowed. Is that what he's saying? Nothing bad. You can't even deal with it. Just shut it out. Uh, live, live half of a life with your memory. I don't think he's saying that. Because Paul himself, uh, in, in other letters to other churches, talked about some of the hard things that he had gone through. Some of us have gone through hard things. Oh, don't talk about that. Just ignore that. Just pretend that didn't happen. Just wipe the slate clean. Uh, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's talking about some very bad things that happened to him. Five times I received at the hand of the religious leaders 40 lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he was blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. And he goes on and on and talks about that. Uh, We would never, ever say, uh, unless we're departing from Scripture, everything bad that's ever happened, just put it out of your mind. Just put it out of your mind. Just think about Jesus. Put it out. No, we've got stuff that we are unable to put out of our minds. Some of us have been hurt and wounded so deeply. What Paul is saying is, put it into context. Put it into context. Uh, there was a, a man that wrote a song called The Lord of the Past. What we're saying from Scripture is not forget the past, but let God be the Lord of the past. Let God take what's happened, take those hurts, take those things, and put it into the context of of what is true and good and right. Put it in the context of Jesus Christ. See it through that prism. Bob Bennett wrote, Every harsh word spoken, every promise ever broken to me, I have total recall data in my memory. Every tear that has washed my face, every moment of disgrace that I've ever known, every time I've ever felt alone. And some of us walk around and we carry those things with us and we do remember. Something triggers us and we remember what that person said or how that person looked. Uh, Maybe some of us have grown up in situations where we felt that uh, from, from people who were supposed to be Uh, loving and nurturing. He talks about all the chances I let slip by, all the dreams I let die in vain, afraid of failure and afraid of pain, every tear that has washed my face, every moment of disgrace I've ever known. And he's saying, God, please be the Lord of the past. I can't undo what has happened to me. I can't change anything back there in the past. I can't change how those people treated me. I can't change how I treated them. Most of our regrets, I think, are things we wish we had done better for people and didn't do. But he's saying all of those things are there. What do we do with those? How do we, how do we 
face those things, the way we might have let our kids down, the way we might have let our parents down, our, our, our congregations down. And he comes to this and he says, Lord of the here and now, Lord of the come what may, I want to believe somehow that you can heal these wounds of yesterday. So I'm asking you to do what you want, to be the Lord of my past. And he's talking about God being the Lord of his past, filtering those things, those painful things, through the right filter, through a thought process that says whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, the things we know that are true, we can take that and somehow God uses even those things to glorify himself. I'm sorry she did that to you. Sorry he did that to you. I'm sorry they did that to you. Sorry it happened. I'm sorry that you're letting that define your life and framing it that way. And I'm not saying just forget it if you can, but I'm saying put it into perspective. So my wife, the gardener, somebody, Dave Sanders, made this frame for her. For her. Uh, Connecticut has rocky soil and rocky ground, so sometimes you can't just go out and put a shovel in the ground and, and, and dig it up and plant things. Sometimes you've got to dig through rocks and roots and throw things out and all that. And there's this little sifter thing with a screen and a wood frame and you put the wood frame on top of the wheelbarrow, and you shovel, and you throw that through, and you sift it out. And what's left are the, the rocks on top, but the, then you have the good dirt that's below without that. Uh, you can't say, I'm going to pretend there's no rocks there, and I'm just going to throw this plant in the ground. Sometimes you've got to face that and realize that even there's productive things you can do with rocks when you get a bunch of them. You just can't grow good plants with the root soil that way. Uh, take your life and what's happened with life that way and let that filter be this filter of Scripture, thinking about Jesus, his person and his work and where you are with God. Lord, I'm going to think about what's true. I'm going to think about what's eternal. I'm going to think about where I'm going. And by God's grace, you're going to be the Lord of my past and I'm going to think these thoughts that are God thoughts I'm not going to live in la-la land and, and, and just say, well, that never happened, that never happened, that never happened. Eventually, even when we do that, we know that comes out. Throw it in the grid and sift it out. Even the times when you've been the one doing the sinning and you can't move on from your failures. Listen, Paul's final letter, Paul is not saying, just think positive thoughts and you'll get there. He's saying, evaluate yourself and evaluate your life and think about Jesus and what Jesus did and, and what path you're on because of Jesus' love and forgiveness and his sacrificial death on your behalf. Very final, uh, toward, toward the final uh, letter, not the exact last, but, but close to the last one he wrote to Timothy. He said, I thank him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Do you think that Paul, facing his death, thought what it was like when he himself had been the one casting the vote and sending Christians 
who are now his brothers and sisters, you, you think he didn't see their faces? He, he tells about that in, in Acts. He, he gives this testimony two or three times, and he says, I was the one who even cast the vote. You think he wasn't weeping over that and saying, how can I have done this? And he's saying, God, you even take those things. You be the Lord of that past. I'm going to think about Jesus Christ. I'm going to think how it all comes out and how it all works together for good to those who love God. And that's how I'm going to live because that's how God says for me to live. Throw your past sins and your failures into that sifter. Think about what's true and right and holy. And think about who is right and true and holy. He went on to say, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And he turns his own failures, his own sins, his own regrets, his own hurts into praise of God by saying, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. So we think these things not in a vacuum, not in a brainwash type of a way, not in I'm only going to think positive, I'm only going to... No, we're going to think about Christ and who he is and where we're at. And boy, those, those failures and mess-ups can even be turned to great praise for the Lord. Think about amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know what John Newton was before he was converted and, and wrote that great hymn that we all sing. He was a slave trader. Boy, he really saw what God had done when God saved him. And all he could do was say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God's grace, and you can point to God's grace. When Paul is writing in this letter for us to think about these things, it's not just self-help so your world will be better and you can live in a rosier place. It is factoring in all of this stuff in our life that we have. How many parents have said to me, how many kids have said to me uh, about their parents saying to them, they say, it's almost like my parents want me to criticize them. They keep telling me I'm a bad parent and and, 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 and they want they would like for me to say, no, you're not so bad, but they really almost want me to say, yeah, you were. Uh, they almost want that. No, we, we live these lives and we look back at it and we say, what is God doing and what is God's not? God takes it all. And God takes the pain and the hurt as well as, as the good. And it's for God's glory. And we think in terms of that, that's our filter. Um, we're talking about how we think. Moises Silva uh, reminded uh, us, uh, it's not what you're taking out, it's what you're putting in. He wrote, and this is a commentator I've been reading a lot as we go through Philippians, uh, he said, yes, joy and peace are possible even in a world like this, but they can be perceived or preserved only by a mind that is well stocked with grace. 
get into your brain and look what's in your covers. Maybe that, that stuff that's outdated, get rid of that. Stock that mind with grace. Stock that mind with what's true and good and lovely. He said, in our modern world, many people seek freedom from anxiety by trying to empty their minds. Paul teaches us that true peace can be ours only when our minds are properly filled. He points the Philippians to the store from which they can furnish their minds, things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Where are you going shopping to stock up the thoughts that are in your mind? What are you going to put on those shelves? Jesus Christ and him crucified. The fact that God saved you. What he saved you for in addition to what he saved you from. The way that God will not take any of us to our home on high until he has worked through us and we've accomplished his work on earth here. What to do with the stage you are in. There's a series of books I love, written by a non-believer, um, great writer, Ray Bradbury. Um, I always loved Something Wicked This Way Comes, and I used to read it as a young man from the young man perspective, and now I read it as the old dad who was there, and, it's, and I read it different because I'm older. But these three books, they're, they're set in Greentown, Illinois, The second one is more supernatural. It's worth reading, I'm telling you. But the first one really talks about it. And Bradbury said, I was interested in the way generations interact with each other. So Dandelion Wine talks about young and old and the perspective of these children who see the old people. And in those days, they like them. They're not beating them up or or, or resenting them. They are learning from them. And uh, they sneak up to this nursing home. And this old man is there. And the nurses don't want him because they get him to tell stories. And sometimes he tells the same story over and over again. But the children love it because they're learning. And when he died, uh, one of them says to, to his brother and the other kids, he says, you know, it wasn't just him that died. It was Lee and Grant and it was uh, Lewis and Clark. It was all the people that he had lived to see and the things he'd done. And when he went, something's gone that won't come back. And in the final book, uh, of this, which I just just finished reading, um, called Farewell Summer. And you have these generations, and the kids are at war with the old guys, and they finally find peace, and they make peace in how they can help each other out and appreciate each other. And there is something for you wherever you are, what, what your age is. Good. Okay, I can't go back and, and, and carry those things down the stairs. I can't can't go to a moving party and, and, and try and, and out-hustle the other people. And, you know, sometimes young men get, you kind of don't want this if you're moving. You, you want a temperance because sometimes these young guys, they try and outdo each other. It becomes a competition. And, and, and generally who wins the prize are the people that bang up all the furniture in the doorways and stuff. You don't want that. But boy, remember when you were young and you could do that and you could run that and you could lift that and you could think that. I was telling somebody, my old pastor, when I was a youth guy, and, and not very wise, but very energetic, and John said, boy, I wish I had your energy with my wisdom. <laughs> that would be a pastor there, because you get that. Uh, what, 
what do we do with our age? We say, God, good, you let me live to this age. How do I glorify you with my age? How do I think my thoughts of true and good and fine and what you have for me on this earth to do? Uh, That's how we are to think. We generations, God keeps us here. God puts us together within his church, all of us learning and thinking, boy, we love our young people, but we love our old people. And old people in our church have something to teach our young people. We pray all the time. Oh, we pray. Gordon's like our big prayer for for families with children. But we need children. We need children, children, children. We do. We love children. We love young people. But what if the young people come in and we, we go... Uh, take them somewhere, and we isolate them from the older people. Aren't we supposed to learn from the older people? This is the last point, the copycat point that's there, where Paul said, how do you do this? You imitate me. He wasn't being arrogant when he said that. He's saying, be a copycat. What you saw in me, what's verse verse 9? What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul, we've already said, wasn't claiming to be a super uh, uh, perfect Christian. He called himself at the very end. You see a progression. There's three passages where Paul talks about his own sinfulness. And with each time, uh, progressively, he has a more solid evaluation of himself as a sinner to where the final time that we just read in, in Timothy, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. So Paul's not saying that, but he's saying, there's something about me, what I've learned is I've lived as a Christian that is there for the younger people to see, for you newer Christians to see. Kids, your godly parents are not perfect. But if they've lived with the Lord longer than you, and you've seen their striving, their way of dealing with setbacks, their approach to the world, then you copy those Christian parents. Honor your father and mother by listening to them and what they've gone through as Christians. They've learned some hard lessons they don't want you uh, to have to, to, to learn the same way they did. Paul says, learn from me. Your church leaders are battling temptations to sin all the time, as long as they're human. But when you see a person striving to throw life's events through the filter of whatever things are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, worthy of excellence and praise, then you follow that person who's trying to follow God, who is following God, however humanly and imperfectly. Find the person who can help you take a long view of things. Find the person who says, what do you think God is doing in this set of circumstances? Find the person who can say, take a deep breath. This is not the end of the world. We've seen this before. Breathe a little bit and see what God is up to. Imitate that one who's trying to imitate God. How do we make an application of this text in this church, in this context? Well, I kind of jumped the gun a little bit. I'm sorry about that because you're going to hear it again. It may be better because I'm a little more glued to my notes. Um, 
But listen to this. How do we as Christ the shepherd do this? Oh, it came out. General Assembly last year, the PCA, the average church. We, we could do an over-under. We could, we could, if this is interactive, I, I, would, I would like to hear, but it's not interactive right now. But I, I'd love to hear your guess. What do you think the average age of the PCA church member is? Across the denomination, everybody that sends in their statistics. They say, oh, we're worried, we're aging, we're aging. 55 years old is the average PCA member. They're like, what do we do for the young? Well, what do we got to do the young? We're getting older, we're getting older. Um, well, hey, 55, that's a, that was a good year way back then for me. Um, what do we do with, with who we are? What do we do about our church? We thank God for our seniors, and we watch how they're doing it. We pray for younger people to find us, to be led here. But boy, you there's no age limit. We, we, we love old godly saints. We need people with, with gray hair. Yeah, what that song say, a touch of gray uh, looks good anyway, or however that went. There's nothing wrong with having that, with having a couple of scars on your face as a Christian. Take those. You can teach. You can be here. I was asking Ron and Diane yesterday. We kind of sat in the living room and had a little time and said, boy, you know, I remember, I remember certain people's first day here, but sometimes I don't remember. You know, I remember, remember various ones. I don't remember when Ron and Diane first came. So I said, Ron, describe it. Well, they were looking for a church that was biblical. They were starting to listen. They called some church in Florida, PCA church down there. It was, like, it was James Kennedy's congregation. Kennedy was long since dead. But they recommended this one. And they came in, you know what they said? There was Gordon there to meet us. And, and, and there's Gordon. Man, what a testimony. What a way to be. To be there, to, to open the door and to greet people and to say welcome. We have a role to play. These little kids that come and that are going to be here. And, and Diane yesterday said something about the, the little children and what it meant to, to her to have the kids. And, and I looked at our people, I'm like, well... You don't call yourself little children, but you know what? To us old people, you are. And you've got some things to learn, and we love you, and, and we want to teach you. So don't be insulted if we call you little children. Uh, I know you, you're big. I know in your minds you're big, and, and you are big. But you know what? You're young people who we want to see live for God and grow up for God. And there's something about Paul saying, you do what you saw in me. There's something about us consistently loving and, and living for God. And that testimony uh, God uses in a multi-generational church, in a multi-generational way. And we come to the Lord's table for the family gathering. It's like all your family reunions. you got cousins and second cousins and aunts and uncles, but your family. And he's saying that. And together, the older, wiser ones have learned how to think. And they focus on Jesus Christ, who is true, who is lovely, who is commendable. And there's excellence in him, and there's worthy of praise in him. That's the kind of things. And we say, how did you think? How did you handle it? I've got to handle it that way too. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the one who is true. Put it through that grid. I think a proper summary for this 
section of scripture, this sermon, these couple of verses, uh, is found over in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And, and with that, uh, we will go to the Lord's table. But uh, that writer says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, uh, maybe we'll, we'll correct that. Some people look and they think that cloud of witnesses in heaven are people like watching us over the ramparts. There's grandma, hi grandma, looking down at me. Context of Hebrews is he's gone through and listed this person, this person, this person, this person, the faith chapter in verse 11. And it's more of a court scene type of a witnesses. He's called Abraham to be a witness. He's called uh, Isaac to be a witness. He's called even righteous Lot, who we would say is not too righteous to be a witness. All these people have lived their lives, some of them rich, some of them destitute, some of them with what we would call, and the world would even call a good life, some, some that the world would call a terrible life. They say we're surrounded by all these witnesses that have lived their lives for Christ. And since we're surrounded by all these people that have come to the court stand and said, this is what living for Christ is, since we're surrounded by this crowd of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay. Summary. Danbury, Connecticut. We're living here. We are thinking maybe about what could be in the news, what's coming down. Uh, oh, house prices, inflation. We're thinking about, oh, crime statistics, the latest uh, and greatest uh, uh, thing that's going to sweep through and, 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 uh, and, and disease-wise and the latest and all of that. We think about all that stuff. That's a threat to, to you and to me. Be aware that it's there. But we are thinking ourselves of the Christianity to which God has called us and saved us. We were lost. We were on our way to hell. Jesus died on the cross. God tapped us on the shoulder, essentially. Or as one song put it, uh, three members of the Trinity just showed up as guests. They said, enough of the pleasantries. We've got a warrant for your arrest. And they came into your life and saved you and snatched you, and you were given the gifts of faith and repentance. You're different, and you live in this world, but your eyes and your destiny is set on what's ahead. Uh, this, is, this is like calling a guy in and, and saying, well, we gotta, we got to redo our, our bathrooms in our house. And the guy who's the expert at that says, think about this, think about this. And you plan, you pick. Jesus is preparing that place for you. He's got a beautiful place for you. That's your destination. And you can imagine what it's going to be like when you get there. And we live this life. And while we live this life, we are thinking about that life to which we've been called. We're not ignoring the life before we were Christians. But we're even filtering that through the grid of where we're going. And wherever we are at in our journey... In our Christian life, uh, we are on our way to heaven, and we can take hope and take comfort from that. God has been so good to give us a church where we can meet together, and there's things to do within our church as we live and we help others, 
and we learn from others. And we pray, and we take the table together, and we, we sing praise songs to God together. And all that way, Paul is saying to that church in Philippians, in Philippi, and he's saying to us the same thing. There are threats, but there is a way to have the peace of God permeate your mind, and that's to be thinking about all of these things through the grid of what's true, right, lovely, good report, beautiful. It's focusing on, on Jesus Christ, and that's what we, we, we get to do every week when we come. That's what we get to do on Thursday when we're not here. That's what we get to do Monday and Friday and Saturday, all those days, living for God and having that be our mindset. And thank you, God, for reminding us and, and, and interrupting our lives and bringing us back to that. Even when we're headed a certain way, God brings, brings himself back to mind for us. And let's pray and go to, go to the Lord's table. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ. Thank you that you didn't just uh, redeem our actions, but you, you helped us even in the way we think and process things. Help us, Lord. Some of us just need for you uh, to, we need to, to, for you to help us to go back into our past and all those hurts and all that pain. And Lord, help us to have a perspective on it that's Christ-like and godly and, and even be um, in some weird way thankful for the hurts and, and, and ways that, that people don't understand. But thank you, Lord, for what's there because of what you were doing in our lives, even in that pain. Lord, help us to uh, look to you as, as the one who is the author and finisher of our faith and help us in the way we think. Thank you, God, also for the ones you sent along to remind us uh, to get back on the right uh, thinking track. Thank you for worship services where we can come and be reminded of Jesus and we can worship here. So we thank you for all of these things, Lord, and thank you for your table. In Jesus' name, amen.